0: According to EY Research, 56% of boards have never discussed the word disability. Caroline Casey wants 500 national and multinational private sector corporations to put disability on their business leadership agendas, and she's been moving mountains to make it happen. I saw Caroline speak at a conference two years ago. She spoke about how she didn't know she had been born legally blind until she was 17. It seems remarkable, but she insists she had no idea that other people could see better than she could, no further than a blurry three feet in front of her. Her story, told in 2007 at a TED Talk now watched by two million people, is one of defiance, a word I love. As an adult, she kept her disability hidden for 11 years, jumping from careers in archaeology to restaurants to being a masseuse and even to a landscape gardener. She went to a business school and worked as a management consultant with Accenture, but eventually her eyesight declined to such a degree that she had to admit she needed help. And, as impressive as her journey and work are, it was how open and vulnerable she was when she spoke that impacted me while watching her on stage. It felt rare to hear someone share their story so rawly. At the post event drinks, I worked my way to sitting opposite her at a bar. After getting a drink, I asked her a question, somewhat nervously. I asked, Should we all be doing work that comes from a place of personal truth? The following conversation truly bonded us. Yesterday, I looked back over my Instagram to see what I'd said about our meeting. My post read, Tonight I had an amazing conversation which taught me that being brave is to bring your true self into your work. We all have a story to tell. Telling it helps others. It was one of those conversations where you know at some point you're going to look back and think it was the beginning of something. And the crazy thing is, it was. It was the start of a new chapter of speaking my own truth that led me to starting the Warrior Women Network. I'm Carla Morales-Lee, and today, in our first ever Warrior Women podcast interview, I am thrilled that we are speaking again for the second time in two years. Welcome, Caroline.
1: Wow, thank you. I won't forget speaking to you either, because I walked away from that conversation myself, thinking, am I really speaking the absolute truth? Of me, or am I speaking to the caricature of the campaigner, so
0: yeah, I know just two years ago when we met you were literally flying out of the door after giving that big talk to uh, to India at like three in the morning. What have you learned from you know a year on or two years on from then? what do you think you put you're putting into practice now that you weren't putting into practice back then that's making you less burnt out and more present
1: i mean there's, there's actually so many things, um, but I think maybe I will describe one incident that happened on uh, 1847 on the 19th of January this year. I was just zipping up my bag, suitcase. The Uber was coming to the door within minutes. And I was on my way to Davos, to the World Economic Forum, to update on the Valuable 500. And I remember, as I kind of picked up my head, this feeling as if I don't know it was such an intense feeling, and what went through my mind are these words: This is not who I am. This is what I do. And that this is the work. Now, for anybody listening to this, it may not seem a significant moment. Why is this so important that I speak to it? Because this is everything. In that moment, all the work, all the ups and downs, the therapy, the ins and outs, the successes, the failures made sense because I realized that actually I was enough. And that's a cliche. We hear it on talk shows, we see it on Tiles and Instagram. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Honestly, that's, it was all academic until that moment. In that moment, I went, oh, actually, the Valuable 500 and all the work that I've done around inclusion of human beings and belongings is the work I do. But I, Caroline, am okay just as I am. And wow, what a relief at 48 years old. and, And can I just say, it's not like there's a eureka moment. It's not like I... Still don't have the gremlins. Of course I do. But you know what? I self-correct. <laughs> I have been putting myself through the most grueling of, uh, of lives um, since I stepped out of the closet 20 years ago in a bid to, for self-acceptance. And yet I didn't realize I put myself into a cage. I put myself into a cage about this social entrepreneur, this activist, this woman with a story so that I could make change in the world. But what I didn't understand is I was starting to value myself on the amount of change I was making, on what I was delivering. And was I good enough? And was it enough? And that moment, 1847, I went, oh, it doesn't matter if I get a million companies into the valuable 500, it doesn't change my worth.
0: Caroline I think that's such an important such an important breakthrough for you but also just such an important insight for all the women listening to this podcast because you know we have I think one of the things I want to say too is that social entrepreneurship is kind of the new cool um which isn't really talked about very often but obviously given the problems that the planet and society are facing, more and more people are understandably waking up to the question: like, what is useful work? But in the way that that's becoming something we're all moving to, we're all kind of looking for our new pinups in that space as well. Like, who, you know, who are the who are the people that we're looking up to now and saying, well, that that's what good looks like. And man, it is easy to look at you a woman on the Davos stage World Economic Forum and say, there's a pinup girl right there. Um, but for you to say so openly, you know what, I've got work to do, and I'm valuing myself in my role to do that work, but I myself am good as I am, um, is just so freeing, I think. Well, definitely for me to hear, and I'm sure for other people to hear. You talk about, you know, 3. Billion people not being ignored, and it's such a powerful statement. I think, can you kind of explain what you mean by that?
1: Uh, well, before before I talk about the the 1.3 billion people who have lived experience a disability and not been ignored, um, I wanted to say that if we ignore any part of our population, we ignore all of our population, right? Inclusion means everyone. This is not about segmenting our humanity into these identities which we trade off against each other Hmm. for me inclusion is is actually seeing myself in the humanity of another human being and it sounds very wokey it sounds very idealistic but I'm sorry it's the truth and with disability you know I have I've come to a point where there is the 1.3 billion people in the world have a lived experience of disability, of which I am one. And with a mother and a father, that's 73% of our global population. And yet it is the most marginalized, overlooked, and invisible group of human beings in the world. And they call this the greatest minority, which I think is hilarious, because like, (laughs) I don't know about you, but 15% of your global population ain't a minority. Um, And the thing that we misunderstand about this is disability is not they, It is not them. It is us. Because every one of us at some point in our life, and this is a fact, this is not me trying to give you a pitch, is going to experience a disability. Every one Mm. of us, right? And also every one of us right now, anybody's listening, knows somebody closely to them who has a disability. So what I keep trying to say is a disability is a a physical impairment or an impairment that we have that is part of the fabric of humanity. It's that simple. Mm
0: -hmm. And if
1: we ignore that, and if we run away from that, we run away from ourselves. And so everything in in our world is, if I believe in the inclusion of anybody, I need to see that as well, because disability doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, where you come from, what your sexual preference is, what your gender is it can touch you because 80% of disabilities is acquired between the ages of 18 and 64. I hope most of us will age. That's what we hope. To live a full life, you will touch disability. So and our big passion and mine has been very controversial. I simply, um, you know, saying, look, business is accountable and responsible because inclusive business creates inclusive societies. What business values, society values. If business excludes, society excludes. And the figure that is startling That you'll have referred to is that 90% of our business have the audacity to claim that they are passionate about inclusion and only 4% consider disability. Now, frankly, that is a delusion. And therefore I'm controversial to call it out, but I'm not here to shame. We're here Mm -hmm. to help. And we want to put the solution into the hands of the world's most important leaders, which we believe to be inclusive business leaders. There's
0: so much said about diversity and inclusion today. Are we really moving forward in this area or is there a lot of smoke and mirrors? And I hope you kind of feel safe and comfortable to answer that yeah, question, but I think is. it's an important one to ask.
1: No, it's really important to ask. So, so I'm Irish, I'm blonde, I'm a woman and I have a disability. So which part of me this year is the world going to value more? <laughs> my disability, my gender. Can we hear how ludicrous this is? You know, um, and, and I don't say it in a way to, once again, be sh- to shame anybody. But let's just let's look at this for a second. None of this is rocket science, right? We shouldn't have to be making the business case for gender or ethnicity um, or disability, because actually the truth of business is every aspect of business, every aspect of the value chain is run by and for and with human beings. Mm. Human beings turn up with multiple identities. I've been known to say, you know, labels are for jam jars, not human beings. And I say that with, you know, smiling because you can hear me smiling. But what it, the thing is, because we're multiple labels, we're so many labels. And until that we are willing to have the uncomfortable truth conversation at inclusion and diversity levels, the uncomfortable truth is that you, we cannot or we must end the siloed approach to inclusion and diversity. I also believe the diversity and inclusion role should be cancelled out of CHRO roles. It should not be a human resources uh, conversation, action or investment. It needs to be at the absolute top level of the business. It should be in the hands of the leaders. Leaders make choices. Those choices create culture. Um, and I believe boards should be accountable for that as well. You we ha- We all know that sustainability cannot happen without inclusion and inclusion cannot happen without all aspects of humanity, disability included.
0: Mm-hmm. So to
1: your point, is it changing? Oh, yes, Carla, it is changing. It is changing. You know, there's more courage now. There's more bravery. And I can honestly say since COVID has happened, the gr- I keep saying this is the greatest breakdown, which is going to be, I hope, the world's greatest breakthrough. And that means, for me, is that we start speaking to this word intersectionality, which is a big old whack of a word to mean Mm -hmm. the multiple labels or multiple experiences of human beings. And that we really will speak to universally inclusive corporate cultures, that the leaders will be measured upon, that they will be held accountable for, that investment that no company will ever be allowed write an email or a conversation that we've all had is this year we're focusing on gender and next year we're going to roster in ice caps. No, 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 no. It's not okay now. And the younger generation, which is our greatest chance, they do not tolerate it. So isn't the balance going to be so hard by celebrating our magnificent, unique difference, and then also being able to balance that with a fully equitable collective? It's hard. But unless we do anything else, it's smoke and mirrors. And I think finally we're admitting that it's probably the hardest thing we're ever going to do. We can't cancel each other out. You cannot blame people for getting it wrong. But we need to change, radically change the way we do things. There's kind of something
0: that I sense from you that I've sensed through all of your podcasts and definitely when we first met Um, And something which, you know, you brought out in me in that conversation that genuinely was like a spark in me that came from that conversation, which is that you have this magic, I think, of being an in-betweener of worlds, which is, you know, you've worked at Accenture, so you kind of understand, you know, how to speak business, you understand what matters to people, you've experienced a disability, you are deeply, deeply, deeply connected to human beings, and the beauty and the magic of being a human being and how amazing it is that like all the different choices and things that came together over billions of years that meant we're here. I feel like you're deeply connected to that. And so when I've watched you speak on those stages, it's like you're managing to translate in so many ways. And I feel like there are these beings, you know, walking across the planet and I hope to be one of them that can sit in those stages and bring out in people a kind of comfortableness with being able to like speak to the humanity of like business i suppose and not just to money and and but at the same time not ignoring those things so i guess like as i'm listening to you i'm thinking do you feel kind of co- called to this work i suppose like is it something that you just kind of know that you're meant to do beyond disability and just in your kind of makeup as a person
1: wow because that's a great question um so firstly, you know, in the Valuable 500, I have the absolute honor of working with Paul and He's our chairperson. I mean, he's the godfather of the sustainability movement who truly believes in the humanity of business. So, I mean, let's be honest, I could not have a better leader to learn from.
0: This is the Paul who's ex-CEO of yeah, you know, right.
1: yeah. Right. So you're like, oh my gosh, like if, if we could have that kind of head-heart leader. You know, for me, it's the that great combination, that intersection of both sides of the coin. And I love the way you've said I'm the in-betweener of worlds. Yes, I am. And I love that you, you hear that about me because the head-heart leadership is why I wanted to work with Paul Pullman. But I am so curious about the gray. Hmm. And the reason I say this is the grey has been profoundly important in my life. So this is a hard thing for me to admit, but people have said to me, and when I came out of the closet, which was a very hard thing to do uh, and speak to my vision impairment when I was 28, you know what hurt me an awful lot was when they would say, but you're not disabled enough, not abused enough to justify that story. And it's really hard um, that when you're not an extreme of something and you're in this sort of limbo in the middle, it's, it's really hard. You, ha- you have to work very hard to dig into yourself. And I've learned an awful lot from The Grey. I am the absolute in-betweener of worlds because it's never as simple as there's a right and a wrong. There never is, right? And actually, that is the piece that I'm so excited about as I move forward in my life, in, in the work that I do, which is outside the disability work, because I am going to be moving into that more broader space. I'm really excited, I don't know where it's going to go, but because now I've given myself permission to be Caroline, not, the, not only Caroline, the Ted girl, Caroline, the elephant girl, Caroline, the caricature activist, as I am Caroline today, what I'm so passionate about is our ability to be free as human beings. Um, that we are defined by nothing. We have defining moments. Oh my gosh, I have so many. But if we're not careful, those defining moments can trap us into cages and mm. we are not free again. Gosh, and, that's just, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and this is the book that I want to write. And as I even sit here, I can feel my heart beating because this is the first time I have admitted it on anything public. But now I, I have this yearning to say to everybody who's lived in grey, to say to everybody who felt the definition of themselves was everything, to say, no, it's not, be careful, be careful for those of us who have been frightened of not being enough because we weren't the extreme, Mm -hmm. uh, to justify our experience to, to be heard, to be accepted. The disability conversation, the corporate inclusion piece has been a vehicle, it has been a lens through something that I am yearning to speak about, that my spirit is roaring for now, which is, I want to say to everyone, I see you and I hear you just as you are. I don't want you to fit in. And I want the world to allow all of us to turn up in the way we need to. And for all of those people who are hiding themselves away because they're so worried about not belonging. And it is an agony. It is an agony to hold some of yourself away it makes you not healthy in relationships it doesn't make you healthy in business you know it, it stops the joy the energy that you put into hiding yourself that could be into the creativity of your life mm. whoa like i mean seriously this is the big shit that we should be talking about in the world you know this is the big shit i think that's your title
0: <laughs> the big shit. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not maybe you put that on the uh, uh put a pin in that one but um i mean of course the, the greatest kind of I don't want to say irony, but the, the, you know, the, the next business move that I'm seeing through kind of people and the, the work that, that I'm doing is, of course, that diversity is now being proven to be the biggest route to innovation, which obviously we need so much, you know, we need new solutions so actually, you know, where we're starting from a place of diversity and inclusion from kind of a moralistic point of view, we could actually there's a huge business case around around that just generally for for solving problems.
1: You know, the greatest innovations of our time come from the margins of society. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, a very small example anecdote is uh, text messaging was designed for people who are hearing impaired, and we all use it as a daily tool. Look, in reality, look at COVID. A lot of the technology, a lot of the solutions, what we've all had to do for remote learning have been those designed and developed for people with disabilities in mind. So this is a, this is a proof that we have to be very careful not to lock, in, um, to lock in and be defined by certain things because our job here in this world is for each of us to grow and develop. And that is right until the moment that we pass. Our, our here's humanity is to grow and develop. And if we become defined or to set by anything um, on only one homogeneous way, then we will not grow and we will not develop. All we do is reduce our potential.
0: One of the things I talk about with the warrior women a lot is the staircase, which is when you start something and you kind of, you're at the bottom and, you know, you, you might, for example, have been at your bottom of your staircase and thought, you know what, I'm really feeling like I need to talk to business about disability. And you kind of go up a few steps and and you get somewhere and you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought that I would get to this step. And you kind of look back and you go, this is the step, I'm here now. And then suddenly you start seeing, you know, at the corner of your eye, another step appears and you go, no, 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 I'm absolutely fine right where I am. I'm not, I'm not ready to go. And you keep climbing. And the thing about when you are an entrepreneur, which you definitely are, mm-hmm. is... <sighs> Sometimes you're looking down and you're like, I've got such a long way to fall. And sometimes you're looking up and you're going, I've got such a long way to go. And and it's about finding those times to just kind of sit on the step and be like, do you know what, this is pretty amazing where I am. And so even though we're talking about there's more to do and the challenges, I do want to just talk to you about some of those special moments. So I just kind of want to sit with you on a step for a moment and just like talk to you about some of them and ask you about them so that our listeners can hear because Lots of the people in the War Room Network are trying to do really big stuff, like world-changing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think they need the inspiration as well as the truth.
1: There's a, a beautiful um, song that I remember when I was a child. Um, for those of you who remember the Muppets, and Kermit the Frog had a cousin called Robin. And the song, I'm not going to sing it because I'm a dreadful singer, but it's, I, it's <laughs> Halfway Up the Stairs is a Step I Sit there isn't any other place quite like it. I'm not at the bottom and I'm not at the top, but this is the step where I will stop. Oh my gosh. I and that. I'm crying because actually I'm so super proud of the step that I'm stopped on right now. Oh, Because I, for the first time in my life, I'm so proud of myself and I, you know, I'm often, I'm Irish and so we have tall poppy syndrome. So you're worried about if you say what you've done, then what will they think of you? But you know what? We have done extraordinary things. I have done extraordinary things. In 20 years um, of my life, it is extraordinary when I look back on the amazing things. From the first time a man called Dermot Desmond, one of Ireland's most successful um, entrepreneurs and financiers you know, who said, I, I see you, I believe in you. Um, and he, from him to this moment of today, if I could tell you, I have set up several businesses. I've gone across India on an elephant. I've gone across Columbia on a horse to meet Paul Poman. I've traveled around the world in 80 ways. We In some of my campaigns, I've reached 50 million people in a minute. And hashtag value was 810 million. I have gone and... Rocked up and disrupted the world by getting some of the world's most influential leaders by remortgaging my home, and now stand here with 366 of the world's biggest CEOs and companies who have committed to putting disability on their leadership agenda and breaking that circuit. And we have, I have employed hundreds of people, raised millions of dollars, and somehow the most extraordinary thing is when somebody writes an email and says to you, you know, I remember seeing you speak on a stage and I have a child with a disability and now I know that they have somewhere to work because of the work you're doing. And 20 years later I hear from that child who is now grown up and working in a business. So Sometimes it feels like you are whistling into the dark. It's never enough that you don't, you're not good enough. And then you get that. And then you remember, yes, it has been. And there has been so much beauty and magic and struggle in these last two decades. I'm so grateful for, you know, all of the, all of these experiences. But what I'm so very grateful for is that I am so proud of myself. And uh, in September of last year, on the sidewalk in New York, I wrote myself a resignation letter. And that will be in the book. And that resignation letter was basically saying to me, Caroline, it's been great working with you for 19 years, but it's exhausting. (laughs) You are such a hard boss. And I have had great magic with you. And you've made history and you've been the youngest this and and it's been that. And you've produced films that have won awards and all of these kind of things. But I'm really tired, and I now need I need I need now need just to walk away from you. Um, so I think I have done everything that I set out to do in this particular part of my life around disability inclusion, and the most proudest moment for me is when, as I say, I get those emails. But when I see our team, the Valuable Five Hundred team, our CEO in place our partners, or when Paul turns around to me and says, I'm proud of you, then I go, well, then I'm proud of me too. That's amazing.
0: But it sounds like you're, you know, you've got to a place now where you're not looking for that validation necessarily from other people and you're finding it in yourself, which is amazing as well. Um, yeah. What, can you tell me, like, I mean, the resignation letter, wow, that's powerful. How many of us, I probably would love to have written myself that letter. <laughs> but actually I would have probably accepted it so I'm glad I'm glad that I haven't but um, there's definitely something in there and I posted something recently actually saying um, be your own CEO around that idea which is often when you are you know an entrepreneur or doing your own business um, you are the CEO but actually you're kind of like rarely speaking to yourself the, the way that kind of someone else in the organization would speak to you because your voice is often so harsh and, and is so critical so mm-hmm. um, you almost have to kind of become a split personality and, and hire someone else to say hey you're doing a good job you know but uh, obviously say so finding it in yourself is amazing and I can totally see that moment being as powerful as you said it was when you, you sat down and said that, that you're enough and are there any other women you know than yourself that you've met along the way that you would say are pretty central to this global change movement that we should know about and follow and support?
1: Oh, my gosh, i I couldn't couldn't tell you how many women have been part of this. I'm very lucky I've had human beings around me, equally men and equally women. The thing is, in the positions of power when I began this, it was mainly men. Let's be honest. At the tops of these organizations, so that's it was the top of the organization, and generally it was men. The woman that I would say to you, there's three women that I'm going to call out. One is a woman called Danuta Gray, and she was the CEO of O2 Ireland, and she saw the crazy intention and the disruptive nature of the work I wanted to do through business leadership. And O2 sponsored um, a huge initiative that became very famous, and not only in Ireland, but then with Telefonica, which at the time was the second biggest communications company in the world. I mean, I sold a franchise for millions, you know, and it was uh, a social franchise, meaning I didn't get the profit. It went into the business. Um, But I always wanted to make a million before I was 40. And and we did that, but it was in a social business. The second woman was a lady called Doreen McInerney. Um, when I first began 20 years ago, uh, she was like, you need some help. <laughs> I'm like, do I? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, and I'm going to give it to you. And my gosh, there's no way I would have been here without her. Extraordinary woman. She was the very first person on a team. She was my first team member ever. And I will never forget her and what she did for me. Um, she also, as a gift, bought my elephant, believe it or not, the elephant I rode <laughs> India. Um, and the third woman is my mom, and you will hear my voice shake again because uh, you know if you've ever come from a family where addiction is present in your childhood, you everybody thinks that my resilience and grit came from the eyesight story. No, uh, the huge empathy, the huge belief in magic, the huge grit, the resilience comes from that childhood and my mother is one of the most extraordinary women. 7% of people who experience addiction, there's only 7% who recover from it. And my mother is one of them. So if my grit came from anywhere, it came from her DNA. And uh, my entrepreneurship came from my father. And they are both black sheep, but I am half her and half him. And uh, to her, I owe so much because she has taught us to be humble. She has taught us to own our shadow side. um, And she has taught us to do the work. Is there
0: anything that anyone kind of who's really feeling deeply the need to kind of support your cause more? Is there anything they can do?
1: So this is my call out to anybody who wants to help us. It's if you know of organisations who employ over a thousand people um, and would like to join the valuable 500 please get in touch with us through the valuable 500.com the biggest thing i would like to end on because um i love warrior i i i love that um and i think what i want to say there was a beautiful expression that i remember reading paulo Coelho. he had a book called the warrior of light and uh I have spent a lot of my life being a wounded warrior. And because the wounds were so deep and they didn't heal, I pushed myself so hard. Okay, that's when you push yourself to breaking point because you're going to keep working so hard because you're not good enough until you do. Every single one of us can move into that place of light. Meaning it's not that you stop being a warrior, and particularly in the area of the work that we all do, but to be a warrior of light, you hold, you can have the good, bad, and the ugly, yeah? And it's not that you forget the wound, it's just that it doesn't, you don't have to hold it so tight to yourself. And I guess I want to say to anybody who is here listening and you think it feels too hard to get to the other side of death or cancer or a business failure, or bankruptcy, or heartbreak, or anything else like that. I just want to say it's possible to move forward and move through it. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but there is a sweet pain in moving through to the light. And uh, and I have to be honest, I would never want to erase any one of the experiences that I've had to get to here, because this warrior of light that's dancing around is very, very proud of the wounds and the scars. They just don't take me over anymore. So um, just to anybody who doesn't think they can, you can. Uh, We all can.
0: Thank you so much. And I'll leave you with um, a quote that sums that all up really well and hopefully it will move people the way it moves me. Wounds are where the light enters. Thank you, Caroline. It's been amazing to catch up and I hope that we don't leave another two years before we do again. Thank you so much. I'm Carla Morales-Lee and you've been listening to the Warrior Women podcast, which is produced by the amazing women at Birdline Media. You'll want to subscribe because in our next episode, we'll be delving into the brilliant career of Cressy Wesling, a multi-award winning environmental entrepreneur. After meeting with the London Fire Brigade in 2005, she launched Elvis and Cressy, which turns industrial waste into innovative lifestyle products and returns 50% of profits to charities related to waste. This is our first series, so if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate you rating, reviewing, subscribing and sharing it. The Warrior Women Network is a global network of pioneering intersectional women, the best companies in the world are transforming the way they work to be better for people and planet. We offer ways for organizations to learn how to be a force for change from the women already leading it. If you'd like to know more, go to warriorwomennetwork.com for more information. Thank you so much for listening.